Podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. The following message was recorded live from our sanctuary. Our prayer is that this message would nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you as you listen. See my bleeding The reading this morning is from Hebrews chapter 13, verses 1 through 6. It can be found on page 1009 in the blue Bible that's in the pew in front of you. It's Hebrews 13, verses 1 through 6. Hear God's word. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them. And those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body, let marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray. Lord, you alone can open up the word to our understanding. You alone can make us love it. You alone can make us eager to have it. You alone can make us welcome it into our heart and and live it out in our Everyday life. Lord, we pray that you would so work now. Bind us all up together that we may delight in you. As I proclaim this word and feeble, feebly so, and as Lord we hear, may we fellowship with you. May we see your mighty work using the frailest of instruments. Lord, your mighty work that we are dealing with the word of the living God. Bless us, Lord. To that end we pray. Amen. One of the most amazing things in my own life, and you may find it so in yours, is that in a a fit of anger or panic or desire, that I can kind of wake up maybe minutes, maybe hours, maybe days, and realize that it's as though God didn't exist during that time. You get in an encounter with somebody, you get in an argument with your wife or husband, and you turn around 50 minutes later, you realize it's as though God did not, was not even on the face of the earth the way I acted. He wasn't present to me. His, his word had no influence on me at that time. The fact that I live in, in front of him at all had no effect whatsoever on me. That ever happened to you? And it could be just going to work. And you drive to work, and 20 minutes later you realize, 
There's a blue sky. There are clouds. The Lord God made this day. And I hadn't even reckoned. I hadn't even talked to him. Having seen his handiwork. It could be in the daily grind. It could be in the middle of a vacation. And you realize two days into it. You've hardly given God a thought. I think that this is the greatest central challenge of the Christian life. To live as in the presence of God always. Romans 1 says that man's sin was that though God is shown in everything that exists and he's constantly speaking to us in those things and making himself known, what did man do? He didn't thank him or honor him as God. That's the central sin of mankind. And so... This, I think, is the the most critical part, but one of the most difficult things, one of the greatest challenges is how do I bring his presence or recognize his presence in everything that I do? And this is this is what makes life glorious. We watch a good bit of the Food Network and HGTV and other shows, Bravo, that have different things on them. And, And they're always talking about either in food uh, display or flavor, man, I put so-and-so and it made it pop, right? Or designers, you know, that I did this to a, a, a house in this room, this color made it pop. Well, this is what makes life pop. And I'll tell you, it's the only thing that really, it, it, it is what we're made for to enjoy God in every part of our lives. Not to do that, and I'm fresh off of a wedding this weekend with Brian and and Anna, so I get a wedding illustration, but it's like going to a wedding reception. What if you were all at a wedding reception during supper time, dinner time, everybody's famished, but nobody eats anything. Nobody touches the food, nobody touches uh, the drink. That's part of that's part of the illustration. For you to go in your days. It's like being at a wedding reception and you don't even eat, though you're famished. Famished people in this world not feasting upon God himself. That's the feast that's set out for you every day. Here's the second part of the wedding illustration. What if nobody spoke to the bride and groom? A wedding reception and they're standing around. Nobody comes up to greet them. Nobody smiles at them. They're walking around. They know everybody and nobody says a word to them. That's what it's like, because you see, every day it's like a wedding reception for whom? God. He's the main get. He's the main character. He's the main event of every day. God himself. And so when we wake up in the morning, that's what life is about. And of course, we give ourselves and. And it's not to distract us from our work, it's to cause us to give ourselves more concentrated to our work, to even do more excellent things and to, con- and to focus more, uh, do, uh, fully engage our capacity to do things. So it's not like we're going to be in this kind of uh, mantra all day long and can't, we're not good for anything. But it does mean that uh, we... Welcome him, we greet him, we honor him, we serve him in all that we do. Now, I think this uh, text is very helpful in this regard. And we're going to do a bit of an odd thing because we're going to first look at its overall structure because we're going to see 
that if you just start with verse one, it seems like it's totally horizontal, loving people, taking care of the stranger. But when you see the setting and you see the structure of the writer, you realize that what he is really doing here is to lay out before you what acceptable worship is. We tend to think verse 28 worship. This is about singing and praying and uh, hearing the word, uh, all those parts of worship. When he says right before chapter 13, let us offer to God acceptable worship. But we're going to see that this section is like the fruit of that worship. It's like the expression of that worship. So the first thing I want to point out is the connection of this with the former uh, verses. Verse 28, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom. And if you don't have your Bibles open, it really would help to be on page 1009 if you don't have your own. But in verse 28, therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. Now, chapter divisions weren't original, you know, and they're helpful to find your way around the Bible. But sometimes they uh, disturb the train of thought. And sometimes they we, we would just start in chapter 13, and think, well, that's done. Now let's move on. But if you read it back to back, let us offer God acceptable worship. Let brotherly love continue. It's as all, almost as though he's saying, for example, or Here's what I'm talking about. Here's the first aspect of that offering acceptable worship. Love one another as brothers. And so that's why I have this title. This is worship in the horizontal. Uh, it, it frames it. It's the very connection, the organic connection here that we worship him by our love to one another, our love to strangers and prisoners and the afflicted, and by our faithfulness in marriage and money. Now, I'm not saying that's the only way we worship him, but I'm saying that is what he stresses at that point. So it shows that our worship is not one hour out of 168 hours in the week. Worship is 24-7. All of our lives are under the umbrella of Worship. All of our thoughts and words and actions are to be given up to him as acceptable worship. In this sense, there is nothing that is not worship. Our whole lives are one service of worship. Our whole lives are an offering of ourselves up to God to be his, to be his instruments, to be like him, to do his will. Now, that's the first thing is the connection between uh, these chapters. The second thing, think repetition. Okay, repetition. Now, if you go to verses 10 through 16, which follows our section, of course, verses 10 through 16, as he has done several times in Hebrews, he contrasts Old Testament sacrifice and New Testament sacrifice. But I want you to notice what he says in verses 15 and 16. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. And there's that word sacrifice again or, or the idea of worship. And then do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Now. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have is very much like what he has said before of taking care of the stranger and visiting the prisoner. Right. 
It's the same idea of doing good and loving one another. And yet here, this word pleasing is from the same root word as acceptable. So offer up acceptable worship. Then he speaks of love. And here he says, offer up these pleasing sacrifices, acceptable sacrifices, which are what? Not neglecting to do good and to share. Now, here it's very apparent that that's exactly what he's talking about, isn't it? But it it makes you realize, oh, he's got a thing going here. Acceptable worship that shows itself in love. And here he says, in the very language of sacrifice and worship, this is the sacrifice that is pleasing to God. And so, that brotherly love and care for strangers uh, here is the same as doing good. So, you've got the connection between uh, chapters 12 and 13 that point to this idea of worship showing itself in love. You've got the repetition of that very word, pleasing uh, or acceptable, uh, connected directly with doing good and, and sharing. Now, the third thing I want to point to is the tradition of these commands. The tradition of the commands in verses uh, two and three. For this, we're going to do a little thumb work. We don't uh, sometimes go to another chapter because it can be confusing. But I want you to back up to Matthew, first book of the New Testament, chapter 25. And we're going to compare words that Jesus says will be spoken in judgment day before his throne or at, as he is on his throne. And we want to see the similarity in the things Jesus speaks of in Judgment Day and these verses two and three. Several commentators have pointed out that there is a strong tradition that is carried on from the words of Jesus. And here we have one of the evidences of that tradition of teaching those same things in a bit different form, but the same subject of radical love given to one another. And so... We read in chapter 25, verses 35 and 36, as he's speaking to what are called the sheep. He says, for I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. Then in verse 36, I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. You see the two basic or three basic ideas of the stranger, the prisoner, the afflicted. It's from the same body of tradition. It's, you might say, the standard mercy teaching of the church that we're picking up here from this one who uh, is writing in Hebrews. And you have to recall, as he says earlier in chapter two, he says, This message was first given by the Lord, then it was given to us from those who heard, and now we have it. So there's this strong, it came from Christ to his immediate followers to us. And here we have what Jesus basically had said about uh, caring for those in affliction, strangers, and in prison. Now, here's my point. You might say, okay, I got the tradition, but here's the interesting point. Here's the, you might say, vertical and horizontal connection as we read on in Matthew 25. 
Then, verse 37, the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. You did it to me. Here's the tie in. The vertical honor and worship and love to Christ is directly related to their love of one another. It's the same thing. You want to offer up acceptable worship to God? You want to give yourself up to his will? Then you will be all about loving other people. And Jesus says, you want to honor me and love me? Then it is right to this degree that you love and honor and care for one another. You love me no more than you love one another. And so this union of the vertical love and worship as it expresses itself in this horizontal love to others. We honor Christ by loving one another. We love Christ by loving one another. He died for his people and we can honor him in no other way than loving those people for whom he died. And so our sacrifice for one another becomes an acceptable sacrifice to God. So all of life is part of our worship and our offering to him. And that transforms your love from just being a transaction between you and someone else. But at the same time, you're in fellowship with him. You're loving him. You're honoring him. You're asking him for your, his grace and trusting him to use it the whole time. It's, it's part of offering yourself up to him as you love someone else. You see, you can look at it both ways. It's not love to God to say, I'm going to be a monk and I'm going to isolate myself and I'm just going to be on the fringes of God's people, but I'm going to all be all about God and be serious about Bible study and all of that. That is not love to God. On the other hand, being busy in love toward people with no regard for Christ or his word, that's not love to God. And in the end, it's really not love to people either. It's as we love and embrace and worship him and it shows itself by in fellowship with him, we open ourselves up to one another. So these three things show how this is so tied to worship, the connection that it has the, with chapter 12, this repetition of that word, pleasing uh, sacrifice and then the tradition. So we've got the connection, the repetition and the tradition. So we can't, you see, admire him and worship him without desiring to be like him and actively imitating him. And what is he like? He's the one who laid down his life for others. You see the incongruency of saying, oh, I'm all about Christ. I'm all about loving him and I want to be like him. Oh, Lord, transform me. Oh, Lord, take away my sin. That has to mean. Becoming like the one who laid down his life for others. Now, others, of course, sometimes from the liberal side would say we, we downplay the worship of God in favor of love. They say doctrine and teaching aren't important. We simply need to help people. This really, though, is turning away from the God of love 
if we are not teaching his word, if we're not honoring him and, and teaching the truth of the gospel, those who say it doesn't matter exactly what happened on the cross. We don't need to get tied up in all that stuff. We just need to love one another. They are despising the truth as it is in Christ and ultimately despising the very love of Christ and are not then offering the love of the one who died in our place to other people. So that's just as much a breaking down of love as is the supposed time, uh, supposed practice of just worshiping him and ignoring our neighbor. So I urge you long to give as you long to give yourself completely up to the Lord. You must know right then and there this means longing to give myself away to others. Sometimes those are very different in our hearts. Sometimes it's people that seem to be the hardest things for us. God and me are fine, you know, and I can pray and talk to him all day long, but it's people, that's the problem. (laughs) That's the problem with the church. There are people in it, you know. It's a problem with marriage. There are two people there. You see, in that way to say, I want to belong to you, Lord, and I want to belong to you alone, that means then being an instrument of love in his hand for others. You see, the more exclusive and the more completely you want to close up with him and be with him, that's wonderful, it's important, it's good, and that means you'll be an instrument for other people. That's all it can mean. Because that's all he wants to do with you, is to make you an instrument of love. So for him to be first in your life and exclusive in your life means a priority of love and an inclusion of many people, whoever he calls you to minister to. When he is exclusive in your life, then there's a radical inclusion of people in love. When we dedicate ourselves to him truly, we dedicate ourselves to one another. And I want to end in the next 30 minutes. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, please, no. Uh, I want to end with one final word. We've got this. Th- these three words really are kind of a weird outline because it's, it's basically underscoring why this text is about worship. So it's connection, the repetition and the tradition. I use another T-I-O-N, but it's a bit different flavor here. And this is renovation. I want to end with an encouraging word from this same text. Let's turn in Hebrews, back to Hebrews 13, over to verses 20 and 21. Now, later we'll deal with these verses in some detail, but we just have to mention them in this context. And this to me is a wonderful, wonderful encouragement. And this, of course, is, as your Bible may uh, have it, a a benediction, a a speaking of blessing. And you you know that blessings that God speaks to us are not just hopeful things. They're what he will do for those who believe. This is yours in Christ Jesus. Believe it. Receive it. Act on it. Okay. now, may the God of peace Wholeness, who brought again shalom, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight.
through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. And guess what? Yeah, that's the same root word. So basically, the structure of the writer is to put a bracket around this idea of being pleasing to God. So verse 28 of chapter 12 is the first part of the bracket. Verse 21 is the last part of the bracket. It's like you're entering a school zone now, you're leaving the school zone, and here are your signs to tell you you're in the zone of pleasing Him, of offering up worship that is pleasing to Him. And isn't this a wonderful last bracket that He works in us that which is pleasing or acceptable in His sight? He... This acceptable praise, this offering of doing good and sharing, the brotherly love, the ministering to strangers and prisoners. This is all a part of what he says, I will work this in you by my power. And so it's by his work that we offer ourselves. And the sister phrase in verse 21 says the same thing. He will equip us. Make us complete, uh, literally, with everything good that you may do his will. And so our love is a part of our worship to God, but our love is the result of God's work in us. And will that work fail? Will he not make good on his blessing to his people? Will he speak this benediction and say, oh, I just was kidding with you. This is a benediction. This is the blessing of God upon His people in the new covenant. And he underscores that by the blood of the eternal covenant. By the accomplishment of the one who has died to effect this covenant, may you, he, he will work that which is pleasing in your sight. This is His promise. It's His pronounced blessing. And it's got the, He underscores this is the one who raised our Lord Jesus from the dead. And with that same resurrection power, he will work in us that which is pleasing in his sight. And so I would urge you, pray this prayer. Oh, Lord, may you. Oh, Lord, I expect you. Oh, Lord, I trust you to do this in me and in us. That you will equip us, that you will work in us that which is pleasing in your sight. Receive the benediction, brothers and sisters. Receive this benediction. Say amen to it. <laughs> Say amen to it. Amen. Lord, fulfill this promise in our lives. And you see, part of the equipping, part of the equipping that will occur is to realize that we can't engage in public worship without realizing the implications of love. That will be part of his work in us. But when we're sitting here, we're very mindful of our brothers and sisters. And we're very mindful that as we worship this God who has given his son so that the whole world might know him so that the word might be proclaimed throughout the world. We cannot ignore the people around us in our neighborhood, in this neighborhood that we work with, our families. We come together to be equipped to love. Isn't it amazing in chapter 10 when he is verse 19 talking about going into 
the the veil and how the veil has been opened up to us. And now we're all cozy and wonderfully folded into this and have this wonderful hope. So you find yourself intimate with Christ in the veil and right in that context, in the same paragraph, verse 24. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. He can't be planting us in the veil without saying, and here's what we do in the veil. Stir one another up to love and good works. Now, some of you may be here visiting. Maybe you attend this church every once in a while. Maybe you keep to the fringes of the church. Maybe you're in and out on Sunday morning and you don't want to have anything to do with the people of God. You don't want to be really involved. You want to be left alone. And yet, as many I've talked to, you suppose that it's okay. God and I have an understanding. We're tight. Uh, I'm doing my own thing with God. We use three illustrations in our new members class. We use the illustration of the church as a building and that each of us is a living stone. We talk about a brick lying in a field. You don't you see a brick lying in a field. You think, I wonder what that went to. It's not it wasn't made, you know, guys making bricks so they can line fields. So something's wrong. This brick's out in the field. It needs to be somewhere. It needs to be connected. That's what you are. You're a stone part of the building. But it ups a little bit when we talk about a family. The church is the household of God. It's the way they would describe a family. And so if you meet a child in the mall and it seems lost, you say, honey, where, where are your parents? And, and it would be really weird if the child said, I belong to all humanity. You know, <laughs> you, know you say, you need a psychologist is what you need. Probably your parents, too. <clears throat> But you see, that's when people say, oh, I'm just a part of, of God's people in general. No, that means you're an orphan. You're an orphan. If you're not connected to God's people somewhere, you're not connected to God's people. If you're not committed to a group of people somewhere, then you're not committed to God's people. You're an orphan. But then the third illustration in the scriptures is that we're a body. Now, you walk, you imagine you're sitting, eating supper, and you say, well, honey, what did y'all do today? Oh, we played out in the field behind the woods. Oh, good. What, what happened? Oh, we saw a finger. You what? We saw a finger. You saw a human being's finger in the field? Well, you know, you'd be up, you'd be calling 911. It's like, something's wrong. You know, somebody's, you just don't talk about it. Okay. You're a member in a body. Can you suppose as a believer that you're going to be disconnected from that body, not integrally part of that body, not interacting with that body? You're a stone in a building. You're, you're a, 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 a family member. You're a part of a body. So you can't even think about a relationship to Christ without a relationship to his people. You know, when it talks about Christ's relationship to the church in Ephesians 5, it likens it to marriage or marriage to him. It says he nourishes and cherishes the church because it's his body. Are we going to say, I worship Jesus, but I ignore his body? The one he dies for, the one he intercedes for 24-7, we read in the same book. 
brother or sister, then I have to say to you, you're worshiping a different Jesus. A Jesus of your own making, a Jesus that you can say, this is what I want him to be, and then I'll follow him. He's not the Jesus in Scripture. We say in our vows, do you believe in him as he's offered in the gospel? Now, that's encouraging because he's offered and that means taken, but it means as he's offered in the gospel, not as you make him up. The real Jesus, the true Jesus, the Jesus of love. He will not allow us to play the game which I want to play. I'll be honest with you. I mean, I love to study. I love to be. But it was people that drove me in high school. I wouldn't look up at people because I was so insecure around people. I couldn't look people in the eyes for years. I had, and, and I used to think, I literally thought, I've told some of you this, I thought life would be great if I could live on a desert island. I really did. Sometimes I thought it might be good to have at least one girl there, you know. (laughs) But generally, I really thought, I really thought if I could be absolutely by myself, I would be happy. That's how scared and how, but in my mind, it wasn't so much scared. It wasn't that I was hardening myself and cutting myself off from the love of people. I just thought I don't like people. And I kind of have a scientist, writer, composer mentality, you know, so it's easy for me to hold up. But I can't be without people. I, I go bad, you know, apart from the people of God. And thankfully, God's worked in me. But remember what happened to Saul on the road to Damascus. Jesus didn't say to Saul when he struck him down, why are you persecuting my people? Remember, why are you persecuting me? Why are you persecuting me? And remember, there were also goats in Matthew 25 in Judgment Day. There were sheep, but there were also goats. And to those, he said, I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. And in the end, he says... These will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. And so our section begins with, Offer him acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. He does not abide with an unrepentant refusal to love others. He'll, he'll, he'll deal with our helplessness, our crying out, our saying, Lord, save me. Lord, look at my heart. Oh, Lord, make me clean. Lord, forgive me of my sins. Lord, take my sin away. Give me a standing with God, oh, Lord Jesus, and begin to work in my life. Yeah. And then we struggle along and we fail and we grow. We'll grow to our dying day. We'll never live a perfect day of love. But it's just that heart of giving yourself helplessly into his hands that he might mold you into the image of Christ so that this congregation might give radical love to one another and to the world. It's his benediction upon us. May he do it. Let us pray. Oh, Lord, may every possible door to every possible life be shut in people's minds except one to give themselves helplessly to the Lord Jesus. 
Oh, Lord, none of us could begin to measure the mountain of ways we've sinned against other people. Those close to us, those not so close to us. How could we measure the ways we've neglected others and overlooked their needs, not cared about their afflictions, not entered into their joys? Oh, Lord, we have no hope but that the Lord Jesus died in the place of us sinners and suffered the punishment for sin that we deserve. We have no hope, Lord, except to be joined to him and permanently associated with his perfect righteousness. In him, we pathetic, failing sinners can be perfectly acceptable to the Father. Joined to him, O Lord, we have the Father's constant favor who always does us good, who will be with us forever. Nothing will separate us from his love. And O Lord, we thank you that in Christ you will work in us that which is pleasing in your sight. You will work in us who are by nature fearful, self-protecting, prideful, jealous, resentful, uncaring, and unforgiving. And with your unlimited power, you will bring about real renovation in our lives so that we increasingly show forth the very love of Jesus Christ. Oh, Lord, if there is anyone here that has not so given themselves away to Jesus Christ, may they do so now. May they do so today. May they begin to live in the presence of this God of love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. Our prayer is that this message was able to nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you. Please visit our website for worship service times, directions to the church, and to subscribe to this podcast. Our web address is fortworthpca.org. Fort Worth Presbyterian is a part of the Presbyterian Church in America.